Uh, good morning, everyone. I tell you, we're so excited about this new series. We're going to have a lot of fun for the next five weeks. And we're talking about relationships, relationship training this morning. This new series, Keep Calm and Get Along. I, I believe that it could be life-changing for you, for your marriage, for your family, maybe your situation at work, uh, whatever it is that you're going through today. We always say here across church that life is about relationships, absolutely, and that uh, everything else is, is so secondary. So what we want to do is we want to learn how to get along with each other. We want to learn how to make our relationships, all our relationships, great. Now, the fact of the matter is, is that not everybody agrees with this. Let me give you an illustration. Uh, we once had a, uh, a rather large family attend our church, and this goes back uh, right to almost to the first years of our time here at Cross Church, when we were still Western Gospel Church. And uh, this mother believed that her children were always being passed over in favor of other children, so that other children would be given the lead roles in Christmas plays and, well, in, in any area where children could shine. She just felt that her kids were not getting a fair shake. And, of course, you know that uh, we try to do everything fairly around here. In fact, I would explain to her, look at because of the way you feel, my children, my three kids, they are never, ever given any lead role in anything, just so that nobody could ever say, oh, yeah, nepotism to pastor's kids on display once again, etc., etc. Well, this sort of thing went on and on for, you know, for numbers and numbers of months. I was constantly being harassed and getting letters and, and, uh, and messages left on my answering service. Some of you know what that's all about. And we... Uh, we decided one day that we were going to have a special party for Janet and Denny. They were engaged. They were getting married in Hawaii. And so we threw the surprise party for them. And, and uh, we invited them to come over to the church one evening. And we had the whole, play, all, the whole basement of the old church decorated all Hawaiian. And one of the, one of the girls in our church, Carrie uh, Cooney, she's now Carrie Fengler. Some of you may know her, remember her. She, could, she knew how to do a hula dance, you know. No, I'm not going to do it. Uh, she knew how to do hula dances, and so she thought what she would do is do a little hula dance in honor, uh, nice hand action, a little hula dance in, in, uh, in honor of John and Denny. She asked uh, Ainsley O'Neill to do it with her. Well, it was a lovely evening, and John and Denny were new to the church and just new to the faith and just, you know, just getting established and it was, like, truly a wonderful, wonderful evening. And you know, the afterglow of a wonderful evening, I'm shaking hands with everybody, saying, so glad you were here tonight. And wasn't it a great night? Oh, yeah, it was fantastic. We're really, we're such a family across at Western Gospel Church. We're such a family. And then this lady comes along, and I said, did you enjoy the night? Wasn't it great? And she says, as a matter of fact, it wasn't. I said, oh, p- pardon me, what happened? She says, well, my daughter could have done, some, done that hula dance. Why wasn't she invited? Why wasn't she included in that? This woman felt that that whole evening was really not about Janet or Denny, but it was about her and her kids. And I could never help her understand that it was not about her. And so consequently, she and her family left. They went to another church. And as far as I know, they've, they've never been able to quite find a church that was perfect enough for her and her kids. Now, I want to say this to you right now. As we begin this series, 
The thing that you and I need to understand is we need to understand how to get along with one another because it does not come naturally. Getting along and having great relationships is something that we need to learn. You know, we sent our kids to school for some 12 years, and 13 if you include kindergarten, and then there's another three to, to 10 years of, of university and college and preparation for our career. But, you know, we never do any sort of real formal training for a lifetime of relationships. And when you consider that relationships are, in fact, the most important thing in your life, don't you think we need some training here? Well, in fact, folks, that's what church is about, and that's, that's what the Word of God is all about. Back in, in the days of the Apostle Paul, there was a church, actually the church of Philippi, was having some problems. There was some division in the church. And the division centered around two women, uh, Yodea and Syntyche. These two women were at odds with one another. And, and the Apostle Paul, in his letter to them, actually to the church in Philippi, he says, Now I appeal to you, Yodea and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Now, here's what you need to understand. In those days, the Apostle Paul would send a letter to the various churches. So we have a letter to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians. We have a, church to the, a letter to the church in Thessalonia, the Thessalonians, to the church in Rome, different places. And Philippi was one of the places that, that Paul sent the letter to. And the letter was sent because of the division in the church that had now happened because of these two women. These two women had got their camps in the church, people that would surround them and would agree with their position. And so Paul says, man, i gotta, got to train these people on how to get along with one another. got to train these people to connect and to love each other. So can you imagine, these letter, the letter would always be read in church, the whole letter. So they're sitting there and they're listening to the Apostle Paul talk about his great love for the, for the Philippian uh, believers. And, you know, they're, they're, it's very touching. And Paul talks about how to live as Christ and to die as gain. And everybody's oh, they're, you know, maybe getting a little bit teary-eyed at, you know, at, at a dear, beloved Paul thinking that he might die. He's in prison. And they're really moved by this. And then Paul talks about, about having the attitude of Christ and what it means to be like Jesus. And again, everybody's saying, hey, hallelujah, brother. Keep on reading that letter. That's a fantastic letter. And then they get to close to the end of the letter. And all of a sudden, the apostle Paul says, and uh, now I appeal to Yodea and Syntyche. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. That would be like us sitting here today, and all of a sudden, I single out two people, two women in the church, and I would say, who can I pick on? Ange. If I said to you, Ange, and I said, Sally, you two need to get along. Now, that would be quite shocking. Wouldn't you be humiliated, embarrassed? But here's what the Apostle Paul knows, that unless you two get along, it's going to compromise the unity in this church. And by the way, just for the record, Ange and Sally are great friends. They get along, so it's not a problem. Now, can you imagine belonging to a church where if you were messing up the unity in the body, the pastor called you out by name in front of everybody? I'm never going to do that, so don't ever panic or worry about that. But understand this. The unity of the body of Christ is absolutely the first priority. In fact, listen to this. The ethic 
of the New Testament. The New Testament ethic is this. It is love expressed in unity. That's what the New Testament is about. If you don't understand that, then you really don't understand what the New Testament is about, and you really don't understand what the Old Testament is about. It's about love expressed in unity. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about what it is to be unified, how to get along with one another. We're going to talk about um, uh, the, the, the keys to loving each other the way Christ would have us love each other. Next week, by the way, we're going to talk about the key to a happy marriage. I'm going to share with you the secret that a lot of people do not understand, do not get. Uh, you may have heard it before, but somehow it, it hasn't entered into your marriage. So I'm going to share with you the key to a happy marriage next week. But today, what we're looking at is we're looking at the foundation of all great relationships. How do we have great relationships? Well, first of all, let's look again at this New Testament ethic. Love expressed in unity. Say it with me. Love expressed in unity. Thank you. So I'm going to begin with a very extreme statement. Some people don't like it when I make extreme statements. They find that it's just too much like pastor drawing a line in the sand. But I got to do it. And here's the extreme statement I want to make. It is impossible to call yourself a Christian if you don't get along with others. Say that again. It is impossible to call yourself a Christian if you don't get along with others. Now you say, Pastor Allen, on what basis are you saying that? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Because here's what we read in 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 to 21. And essentially, this is what John is saying. He's saying, if someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, then that person is a liar. For if we don't love people, we can see how on earth, I added that, how on earth can we love God, whom we cannot see? And he's given us this command. That's Jesus. He's given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. And so we recognize that that is how the New Testament is structured, to teach us how to get along with one another, and even more than that, to teach us how to stay calm and get along. Now, why do I say stay calm? Has anybody ever heard the term anger? Angry? I'm angry? Yes. And sometimes we also say, I am mad. Do you know why we say a person's mad? The word mad actually means insane. Did you know that? It means you're mentally, you've lost it. You're off your rocker. And in fact, this is what happens to so many when they get angry. Because, you know, a breakdown in a relationship, they're going to get angry with you. And there's actually what they call it is a temporary madness. You've gone out of your mind. You're insane. You're not functioning normally. You're not functioning as a normal person. So what we need to do is we need to learn how to best reflect Jesus Christ in the way that we live our lives. So John makes this statement. He he gives us this command because he understands our nature. John understands what you're like, and he understands what I'm like. He understands what he's like, and here's what we're like. The thing that we all have in common is that we are easily hurt. We easily become upset because we feel that someone or some group of people has hurt us. And it may be deliberate. It may be, but it's not deliberate. But it almost always causes a breakdown in the relationship. We feel that, that somebody has hurt our feelings. Somebody has made us, uh, somebody has, has purposely gone out of their way to hurt our feelings. Here's what I've discovered over the years. Anytime that Gloria has ever hurt my feelings or offended me, I, I, here's what I know about Gloria. She's never done it on purpose. 
least I think so. <laughs> She's smiling. She's never done it on purpose. But something she said, some, the way she said it has offended me, and vice versa. Now, here's the thing. Gloria and I, can, we have to make a decision in that moment. We have got to make a decision. Either we're going to let it go, or we're going to stay offended. Now, the Apostle Paul understands what we're like. John understands what we're like. We easily get hurt, we easily get offended, and we stay offended, we stay hurt. And so John says, look, you can't stay that way. You can't be like that. You have to love each other because that's what it means to be a Christian. So when I'm talking about love, here's what I'm talking about because I, sometimes I've heard, I hear this, you know, you know, I love that person in Jesus, but I don't really like him. How many have heard that? Yeah, maybe you, maybe you live that way. Maybe you function that way. I love her in Christ, but I don't really like them. I'd rather not be around them. They annoy me. Okay, so just stop and consider this for a moment. If I went to that person that you say you don't like, you love them, you love them in Jesus, and I put that in quotation marks because I have no idea what that means. Follow that idea logically to its logical conclusion. If I go to that person that you say you love in Jesus but you don't like, and I say to them, do you feel that person loves you? They'll, say, they'll either say yes or no. If they say yes, it's probably because you have acted like you love them. If they say that they don't think you love them, it's probably because you've made it clear to them that you don't like them. Logically, folks, it doesn't make sense to say that you love someone but you don't like them. It's, this is a cop-out. It's silly. It's ridiculous. When I talk about love, I'm talking about the kind of love that says, I'm going to do anything for you. I'm going to embrace you like you're my brother, like you're my sister. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to give you whatever you need. I'm going to try really hard to, to, to really like you and to befriend you. You say, Pastor John, this all sounds too impossible. Well, I'm going to tell you this. For those who are not believers, for those who have not put their faith in Christ, yeah, it is, it is kind of impossible. But for those of you who call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ and have the Spirit of God living in you, then the evidence is that you love people. Even people who maybe are not always lovable. I remember a pastor. I remember him preaching uh, and this is what he said. He says, quote, We have to love other believers because God tells us to, but you don't have to like them. That's what he, that's what he preached. I remember because I was so shocked by that because I could not think of a scripture verse in the Bible that would support that kind of thinking. Utterly and completely not biblical, not acceptable. And I'm going to tell you this. This is a guy that practiced what he preached. There are a lot of people that he said he loved in Jesus because God called him to love them, but he didn't like them. And I would hear him and his spouse talk about people behind their backs, mocking people, saying terrible things, but laughing at people. I'm going to tell you the effect that it had on me. It paralyzed me. It utterly and completely paralyzed me. Now I was afraid of the way I spoke, that maybe I would say something that sounded stupid, that they would, when I was not there, would laugh at me at the things I was saying. I was afraid of taking risks because I was afraid of making a mistake and, and then again having them talk about me behind my back. I, I literally became frozen. I could not function. I could not function. 
as a pastor because I was afraid of how I would be treated, of what they were saying about me behind my back. And I know that about everybody here today. Consequently, their children, this man in the ministry and his wife, their children found it extremely difficult to follow Jesus Christ. They had a very difficult time embracing Christianity. And the reason is, is because they did not see Christianity lived out authentically before them. Now, I'm going to say this to you today, parents. You want your kids to follow Jesus Christ? Then if you're a phony, your kids are not going to embrace your religion. If you're trying to win your, your wife or your husband to Christ, but you're not living out this Christianity, then they're going to look at you and say, you're a, you're a phony. I know one of the things that Gloria does as a, as a nurse working uh, in a secu- the secular workplace is that she tries to live out her faith. So that nobody could ever say, you know, she's a fake, she's a phony. I know that many of you here today are trying to live your life out in the, in the, in the marketplace, in the, in the public square, asking God daily for the wisdom, for the strength, for the ability to live your life in a way that would make people see Jesus Christ in you. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus says that the world will know that you're my disciples by your love for each other. Not by the creed that you repeat. Not by the good deeds or the good works that you do. Not because you go to soup kitchens and feed the hungry. That's not the indicator that you've been touched by Jesus Christ. The thing that says that you are a follower of Jesus Christ is that you love other people. Full stop. And so the question today is this. Is this New Testament ethic your ethic? Love expressed in unity? See, Pastor Allen, I have no idea how I can live this. I don't, know. I don't know if I can do this. Well, first of all, I'm glad that you're saying that, if that's what you're thinking in your head. Because the fact of the matter is, you can do it on your own. You do need God's help, and I'll talk more about that in just a moment. But again, how, how can we live like this? Well, here, I'm going to give you, a secret, give you the answer, and then I'm going to expand on it. It's all in your attitude. Back in the 1970s, there was a TV show. It was my favorite TV program, and uh, it was Kung Fu. Anybody remember that? Yeah, Kung Fu. Played by David Carradine. Um, The plots were always the same. There's 63 episodes, and basically it's 63 episodes of the same thing over and over and over again. It's the Shaolin monk from China, who's come to, to America, to the Old West, to the wild, wild West, and he's looking for his half-brother, Danny Kane. He's armed only with his spiritual training and his skill in the martial arts. And uh, in his search for his brother, he's constantly in situations where he's being challenged. And people are confusing his meekness with weakness. That's basically the plot. For him, the challenge is to stay calm and to get along. Now, we find David Carradine. He's uh, faced with somebody who is being mean to him. He's trying to mind his own business. And you watch... The tension, you feel the tension 
of him trying to stay calm and not get angry at this person who's poking him and prodding him. And you see him doing nothing, doing nothing, doing nothing. And the audience, everybody watching, knows what's about to happen. We all know that the kung fu expert's about to give that guy a spanking, right? Does nothing. And finally, finally, because he's been pushed and prodded and now is in a position where he needs to defend himself, he brings out his kung fu... No, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> he brings out his kung fu moves and the enemy is vanquished. Now, here's what you need to understand because so many of us don't get this. The strength of this character is not in his martial, martial arts. The strength of the character is in his meekness. The problem with his enemies in the program is that they confused meekness with weakness. Now, here's what you need to understand. The foundation of all great relationships, the way to get along with everyone in your life, is to have the attitude of Christ. You say, Pastor Allen, what is the attitude of, of Christ? What does it look like? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because Paul tells these women in Philippi and tells all the church in Philippi what it is to have the attitude of Christ. And here's what he says. Here's the attitude of Christ in Philippians 2, 2 to 5. He begins by saying, love one another. Working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now, the attitude of Christ is very simple. It can be summed up in a word, humble. Or summed up in a word just means the same thing as humble, meek. Many are convinced that if I'm humble or meek, then I'll be taken advantage of. And here's what you need to understand, because what I'm teaching you now goes against all of our natural thinking. It goes against our natural response to scenarios like this. So now you're ready, are you ready for the spiritual truth here? Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meekness, are you ready for this, is the most powerful weapon in our arsenal. Did you hear that? Meekness is the most powerful weapon in your arsenal. You say, well, hold on a minute here, Pastor. You're talking about keeping calm and getting along, and now you're talking about, about an arsenal, about a weapon? This is a, it doesn't really jive, Pastor. Well, I'm glad you pointed that out to me because here's what you need to know. The weapon that you need is not against other people, but it's against your selfish nature. You need this weapon to control yourself, not others. I don't know if you've understood this yet. My dad now is in his mid-70s. I think he understands this, but it takes a long time for us to get it. You can never change other people. How many know that today? You cannot change other people. It's, it's impossible unless you have some kind of force or power over them. You cannot change them. You can only change yourself. And so Jesus says this, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now watch this, folks. When you are meek, Jesus is saying this, you get everything. You get it all. 
Now think about it for a moment. The things that you're trying to get from those people that you've been arguing with, that you've been fighting with, those people who've been a constant struggle to you. Jesus says this, act meekly towards them, and you're going to get not just what you want, you're going to get it all. The meek inherit the earth. Get everything. This is a spiritual principle that so many people do not understand, but folks, it's at the very core of our Christian faith. The meek can inherit the earth. They get it all. So practically speaking, what does this look like? Well, Paul just gives us a whole list here. And by the way, I would suggest that you do this. Let this be the, the passage of Scripture that you return to over and over and over again as a reminder of how to get along with people. There's a fantastic list of instructions here. And by the way, there's at least seven or eight instructions here. This is not a seven-point sermon, by the way. I just want to quickly run through this so that you can see the wisdom in this. So mark this in your Bible. In fact, if you want, print it off, put it on your fridge, put it in the car, put it in your wallet, put it in your pocket. But take this list with you because it's going to give you wisdom on how to get along with people, how to get it all, how to win. First of all, Paul says this, love one another. So what's he saying here? He's saying, determine in advance how you're going to treat people. He's saying that this is ground zero for you. I'm going to love people. For most people, ground zero is I got to win. And Paul says, no, that's not ground zero. Loving people is ground zero. That's where you begin in your dealings with all human beings. I don't care who they are. Remember, you can't do this if you haven't been empowered by the Spirit of God. But if you are a Christian today, this is where you begin. I'm going to love everyone. Secondly, Paul says this, work together with one mind and purpose. I'm going to tell you the secret to successful negotiations. I don't know if we have any negotiators here. I don't know if anybody's here in a position where they need to negotiate with somebody. But here's what Paul's saying. Work together with one purpose, one mind. The key to successful negotiations is swallow your pride, compromise. Look for common ground. What you want to do is you want to try to find a win-win situation where everybody wins. With so many of us, we're not prepared to let anybody win. We want to win. If that is the way you're approaching your relationships, then guess what? You're going to lose every time. Because you might win today, but you might win the battle today, but you're going to lose the war every single time. Folks, I'm not the one coming up with this stuff. The Apostle Paul is. He's saying, work together with one purpose, one mind. Find your common ground. And go from there. Thirdly, Paul says, don't be selfish. Think in terms of the other person's needs. We always think of our own needs first. We rarely think about how other people feel. Now listen, this is, this is, this is far more difficult than it sounds. This is called empathy. It's called empathetic skills. It's the ability to think about what that person needs. Now listen, if you can learn to do that, you have got supernatural power at your disposal. If you've got the ability to understand what the other person needs, it's a game changer. It'll change all your relationships because now you'll be able to care for that person. And I'm going to tell you this. Every time, that person will respond to you. It may not happen immediately, but it will eventually. They'll respond to your kindness. They'll respond to your loving approach. Fourthly, Paul says, stop trying to impress and show off. Don't try to impress others. What do I mean by that? Well, I'm saying, Paul's saying, keep all your, your greatness to yourself. You don't need to share that. Let someone know. That's, well, 
Have you ever been with people that are constantly dropping names and telling you all the, all the important people they know and all the important people they've had lunch with and all the, you know, the, the wonderful achievements that they've been able to and all the trophies and all the, all the medals they've won? You, you know people like that. They don't really have a lot of friends because people get tired of hearing people brag about themselves. I remember one day Pastor Barber had a guest speaker at the church when I was a, a young boy, and the the speaker that morning kept referring to Pastor Barber as Dr. Barber. I was like, I, I, why, do you, why does he keep calling him Dr. Barber? And then I discovered that Pastor Barber, who always referred to himself as Pastor Barber, actually had his doctorate in theology. No, I don't know what the doctorate in, was in exactly, and I don't know what his dissertation was, but he had a doctorate. No idea. Refused to call himself Dr. Barber. Just in the later, latter years as he was doing some conferences that he would use the title, but generally he's a pastor. I, unbelievable. Suddenly my regard for him shot up. And I was more, listen to this, I was more interested in hearing what he had to say. Now, I'm going to tell you this. The minute you start bragging about yourself, I can tell you all the doors are slamming shut in everybody's head. They don't want to hear what you got to say. They don't want to know about you. They don't care. You want to, you want to get along with people? Keep your achievements to yourself. Keep it quiet. Let people find out on their own. And your, the regard for you will skyrocket. Paul goes on to say this. Think of others as better. Now, this is not false modesty, folks. This is the ability to look at another human being that has been created in the image of God and recognizing in them that special thing about them. Not a lot of people can do this. In fact, a lot of people are judged by their appearance, are judged by the way they speak. A wise man, a godly man, can see past the book cover and can see the contents of the heart of that person. And here's what I've discovered over the years. I have not yet seen any of God's creatures, any of God's creation that was bad. I, I can see the good in just about everybody I've ever met. Why? Because they created an image of God. Paul says, if you can begin to see that in other people, if you can look at others as better than yourself, and folks, again, it's not false modesty. Paul's serious. Look at that other person and see how God has created them and see the beauty in them. Paul says, stop thinking about yourselves. <laughs> Have you ever gone for lunch with somebody and you, th- you think you think you, you're in a conversation with them. Now, Gloria always knows what bugs me when I, in, in, if I go for lunch with somebody and have a conversation. The other person, is, they don't, they're not listening to a word you're saying. They don't care what you've got to say. They're just waiting for you to stop talking so that they can keep on. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah? I'm not looking at anybody. But they're the kind of people, and they don't care about your life. They don't want to hear what's going on in your life. They don't ask you how your life is going. They don't ask you how you're doing. By the way, something, everybody that knows Don Davidson, he's one of our elders, he was up here this morning praying. He's the kind of guy that will stop you dead in your tracks. In fact, he'll take a hold of your arm. And, and you know, I'll be rushing around, whatever, and he stops me dead in my tracks. And he looks me in the eye and he says, how's it going? I said, well, I'm fine. No, 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 that's, that's not the answer I'm looking for. I want to know, really, how's it going? And he forces me to stop and pour out my heart to him. Now listen to me, folks. Whenever I see Don, I instantly feel a love and appreciation for that man. Do you want to be the kind of person that when someone looks at you, they love you instantly? Be the kind of person that's like Don. 
It's not thinking about yourself, but thinking about them. Paul says, be interested in the lives of others. Take the time to say, how are you? Take the time to listen. How often we greet each other and say, hey, how's it going? Hey, fine. It doesn't mean anything. It's just, it's empty words. I'm talking about seriously looking into somebody else's eyes and say, really, how is it going? This, Paul says, is how we get along. Now, I know that some of you are sitting here today and you're thinking, man, I don't know. I don't know how to live this. You're thinking of someone or, or a group of people that are really, really causing you heartache right now. You're really struggling with them. Every one of us knows people like that right now. And the feeling for these people is somewhere between irritation and full-blown hatred. How do, we, how do we get out of that rut? And how do we love them as Christ has called us to love them? Well, here's what Paul says to the Philippians in Philippians 2.13, just later on in the letter. He says, look at this. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. You need the power of God at work in your life to enable you to love all the people in your life. You can't do it in your own strength. And the good news is this, folks, is that if you'll come before God and ask him for the grace and the power to live the life that he's called you to live, I can guarantee you he'll do it. He'll do it because he loves you. Now, I gotta tell you one other thing before we close. Jesus says this. He says, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard the law say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And in that way, you'll, bring, you'll be acting as the children of your Father in heaven. So you're going to pray. You're going to pray for God to give you the power and the desire to do what pleases him. Because remember this, folks. Loving your enemies, it's not about them. It's about you. It's about you. You make that decision to love your enemies, it's not about them at all. It's all about you and your heart and what needs to happen in your heart. So you need to pray for yourself. And secondly, you need to pray for others, especially your enemies. You need to pray for them. If someone's hurting you, someone's offending you, someone's being unkind to you, then pray for them. Pray God's blessing upon them. Pray that God would help them overcome whatever it is that they're struggling with. In fact, you're going to pray the kindest and the best prayer for your enemies. And here's, here's the thing, folks. It is the ultimate revenge. Because you're not praying that they're hurt or broken. You're not praying that God would get them, but you're praying that God would love them. And God would help them. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And let me remind you, Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Happy are the meek, for they get it all. Would you stand with me, please? God, as we come to the end of the service we pray that this word would go with us as we leave this place. We pray, God, that you would help us to be a people that pray for ourselves 
that we would have the power and the desire to please God by loving those who have been unloving towards us. Help us not to worry about being taken advantage of. Help us to recognize, God, that you're sovereign, you're in control. And when we take that step of humility, of having the attitude of Christ where we are meek, God, it's then that you are able to unleash your power in our situation, whatever it may be. God, give us the grace and the wisdom to pray for our enemies, those who have hurt us and those who have offended us. Give us the grace to pray that God's blessing would rest on those who are hurting us. God, that your will may be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, God, for giving us this training, this instruction on how to have great relationships. So, God, we pray now as we go from this place, help us to stay calm and to get along. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said it? Tell the person beside you, stay calm and get along.